passengers. This is not a shoe. This is disorder. This is size 10 chaos. This, see this? This is death. Wait a minute. 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 I see what's going on here. Wait a minute. No. Wait a minute. Hello and welcome, welcome and hello. This is Wait You Haven't Seen, the podcast where I uh, find somebody that has not seen a movie. Uh, we talk about it. And this is episode 10. Um, so we've made it to double digits, everybody. 10 episodes in. Uh, we not are canceled. Nope. We are watching the 2013 uh, movie Snowpiercer. And I had never seen that movie before. Um, I'm not, Is that a first for this show? No. Uh, what was the Titan AE? I had not seen before. Okay. Um, similar type of thing. Wasn't that I didn't want to see Snowpiercer. It just kind of it came out at a time when I wasn't really able to get out to movies much. Um, so I didn't get to see it in the theater, and it just sort of fell off my radar for a while. Uh, and it's been something. It showed up on Netflix a while back, and I'm. Every time I'd see it, I'd think, ooh, I need to watch that, and then I'd forget about it because I'd go on to something else. Like, eh, I'm just not feeling that tonight, or I don't know. So never, just never got around to watching it, but glad I finally did because um, it was good. I liked it. Um, so 2013, this came out, and now I knew about the movie because um, I knew the director, Bong Joon-ho, or uh, Joon-ho Bong, depending on how you want to, you know, put that name out there but uh he directed wrote and directed a movie that i saw at the film festival here uh in like 06 or 07 called the host um that was really good uh it was just kind of interesting monster movie so i liked that quite a bit and that i remember hearing oh he made this new movie snowpiercer and it's got chris evans in it and uh and a lot of the same great korean actors well, yeah. So the hosts are actually in this as well. The father and daughter in this are were father and daughter in the host. Um, yep. So you know, I liked his style quite a bit, and uh, it showed through here. Uh, this was a good movie. Um, I have questions, um, but uh, you know, we'll kind of go over those as we go along. But I mean, overall, I thought this was a good movie. Now, David, I've talked to you. You've mentioned this before as a movie that you really liked. Yeah, uh, as it's probably abundantly clear to a lot of the listeners. Uh, I don't watch a lot of movies. <laughs> this is one that I have watched and I have watched multiple times. And I consistently recommend to folks as a good sort of higher power movie, almost. Um, okay. eh, like just good fight scenes, I think really well done and sort of, interesting backstory and yeah so oh go ahead well you know it uh the story is really interesting so it's it's not subtle in any way 
This is not a, a, not a nuanced not or subtle movie. movie. Um, however, before we get too far into it, uh, Christina, you'd seen this before and you liked it? Yep. Okay. Yeah, I've enjoyed this movie. I, I enjoy the, the fight scenes, the staging for the fight scenes, and just the, the way that things are set up throughout the movie. Uh, the little tidbits here and there when you're paying attention to how things are being set up and brought to the final conclusion. Yeah, it's um, you know, it's it's that it's post-apocalyptic, but very different from a lot of other post-apocalyptic movies. You know, it's not a Mad Max where they're out in the wasteland or yeah. anything like that. You know, it's all of humanity is on this train, and this train is circling the globe on this track, and it's just going and going and going, 365 yeah. days a year. And you know, like I like I was starting to say, this movie is not subtle. It is not nuanced yeah. uh, in in its message. Um, you know, it's very much a uh, hey, global warming is bad, and um, uh, the class divide is bad, um, and we're just gonna uh, we're just gonna show you that um, because you know, right at the beginning of the movie, it's oh, we're gonna put this chemical up in the atmosphere, and it's gonna help bring temperatures back down, and it did too far. It went went crazy. And turn the planet into a big snowball. The comparison I draw to some people with the sort of class system, and it's on a much smaller scale in this movie, but is actually the Hunger Games. Okay, uh, yeah. There was sort of a society, and then it sort of deteriorated, and then it segregated, and there was a very strict caste system of in the in the uh, in the Hunger Games. You know, uh, I forgot what they said. District. That's what they called. Yeah. District 12 is, those are the coal miners, they're the poorest of the poor, we don't expect them to amount to much ever, which is sort of like the rear cars in Snowpiercer, poorest of the poor, they don't really, and honestly, I'd say in this movie, they served even less of a purpose uh, than they did in Hunger Games. Yeah, you know, that was one thing that I kind of wish the movie would have done a little bit more, is, is show... The, so there's there's an obvious class divide. There's the tail of the train has all just people packed in like sardines, and they're eating these protein blocks, these like gelatin protein blocks, and but they don't really do anything that yeah, you can they tell. never really. If, now, if I was uh, the you know the front of the train overlord, you would probably want to be thinking, hey, we should put these people to work rather than you know, pull. Yeah. A kid every once in a while, or pull a concert violinist every once in a while. Yeah, I, I kind of wish that could have gotten fleshed out a little bit more because it, it's an interesting dynamic to have. Everybody is stuck on this train, and this train is, you know, however big it is, but each car represents different things, and obviously they have a, you know, if you're going to have people on this train, all of the the, the last bastions of humanity. First of all, it wasn't a whole lot of them, really. If you think about it, um, yeah, I was gonna, I was gonna guess maybe between a thousand, two thousand people. Yeah, and uh, you know, there, there's this ecological balance of what's going on in the front cabins, the front cars, but the rear cars are just like they get nothing. But they also, it was like they had no real purpose other than to supply the occasional kid. So I kind of wish that. Yep. Oh, go ahead. That was their purpose. They were stowaways that they were, to them, just trash. Yeah, I guess you're right. You're right in that. I, I just kind of wish there could have been more. Because, you know, the, the whole first part of the movie is 
Chris Evans and Jamie Bell, and they're they're talking about you know we're gonna we got this plan, and he's he's getting this whole revolution plan going with John Hurt's character. And once they got to the front parts of the train, they just kind of walked through them, and you got to see them. And it was really cool to see the different sections and to see the aquarium and to see where they were growing stuff and and all of that. And they're going through you know the the front of the train, and you got all the people in their uh, the club and all of that kind of stuff was neat, but there wasn't a whole lot of like, nobody questioned that this dude was just walking through there. And you would think that there would have been some pushback um, by those people. There sort of was at the end when the, the drug addicts started coming for them. Well, yeah, but that was because they stole all their, that was because they stole all their drugs. So they, you could hear like there was audio of people saying, I'm going to get you, blah, blah, blah. Why they didn't right away. I don't know. Yeah. But they, it, the plot demanded right. that they wait 20 minutes. Um, but uh, I just wish, I, I kind of wish I could have could have seen a little bit more uh, interplay between the, the rich and the poor, the, you know, the Eloys and the Morlocks, um, if you want to use the time machine as a reference. Like, I wish there could have been more interplay between that. Um, but. I agree. Um, it was, it was visually a very interesting movie. Um, I think just to, it. Anytime you have something that's so contained in inside and that claustrophobia and that you know nobody gets outside type of thing, it can uh, be tricky. It can be very tricky, but when done correctly, it can create a lot of really good atmosphere. And it was done well here. They they did a good job of creating, um, it just kind of a good feeling of where where things were and what parts of the train they were getting to, and um, and all that was was really cool. Um, there. Yeah, you saw things get cleaner as they went forward. Well, yeah, that's true. Um, so I would like to talk about a couple of gripes that I have with the movie. Um, there is one that's it's minor, but um, there is a fairly in, um, important set piece where the train is going around a big curve. And... Uh, the um, yes, the Russian dude, um, who in my notes I wrote down looked reminded me of uh, like Rush Limbaugh, is who he kind of looked <laughs> like to me. But uh, the the Russian guy stops and then decides that he's going to shoot through the glass and across at the other side of it. Now, a, I'm sorry, I don't think he could have seen them from that distance. The the way that I was perceiving how far that train was. Maybe maybe he was a lot closer, but if he was close enough to make that distance that he did afterwards that quickly, then he wouldn't have been far enough back in the curve to have any kind of an angle for that. Plus, yep. that's just dumb. Like it's just just universally stupid to do what that guy was doing. It made no sense whatsoever, and kind of took me out of that scene. Like up until that point. I really felt like everybody that was in this movie, all these characters lived in this world. This world, the train was their world. They had all been there for 17 or 18 years. You know, for as as outrageous as the whole scene was in the train car where they shut the the lights out, went into the tunnel and were just hacking people up. Like that's still believable to me in this world. Uh, you know, and then they come in with the flames and all that, and light light things back up. That all I, I can I can work with all that. The train that that curve area where they're shooting at each other from around the curve. Just I did not like that. I can see why that. Yeah, 
they're taking a pretty big leap of faith. And up until that point, we hadn't really seen much from that guy. But then after that point, we saw a lot from him, and they almost established him as, like, pseudo-superhuman. Uh, like A little bit, yeah. From getting stabbed and choked out. Uh, he only barely gets killed at the last five, ten minutes of the movie. Yeah. Uh, and it's funny you say the Russian guy. His The actor's name is, like, Igor Vladov. So it's, it's the it's, most yeah, Russian name I've ever heard. It is. It is the most Russian name you can come up with. It's Vlad Ivanov. Yes. Like, it's so good. I mean, but, that's that's just one step below Boris Badenov. Like, that is a great name. Yeah, Vlad Ivanov. Yeah, yeah he was they, Franco they, the Elder. That was his character's name, which, whatever, they, I mean, half the they characters. They clearly took that character as sort of, this is going to be the end of the rebellion, because all he cared about was preventing them from getting to the front because like there's a scene in the sauna where he kills a front passenger and then shoots the guard who calls him on it and then the other one says i didn't see anything right (laughs) uh, yeah he just doesn't care about the people he just cares about preventing the front of the train yeah or preventing them from getting to the engine yeah and you know it was a little bit rushed um to get him there but at the same time you'd sort of established him earlier on um they'd showed him a few times so you know didn't he as a character, he didn't bother me. Um, I just that that whole thing in the curve was really dumb, and it almost completely took me out of the movie. Thankfully, the rest of the movie overall was good. Now, the the reveal at the end was a little interesting because it's not something you really see coming. But you, no, they hit it very well. They, they do a pretty good job of hiding it. It feels a little like they didn't earn that or that it wasn't um, – that it was not exactly what Ed Harris was saying. So, you know, you get the reveal of Ed Harris. He's Wilford. Now, I had a note saying, um, you know, Wilford doesn't really exist anymore. Um was what I thought early on. And then about 10 minutes later, I came to the realization that Wilford is the one sending him the red letters. Mm -hmm. So I kind of figured that part out. It it sort of made sense that it would be Wilford doing that. You get the reveal of Ed Harris as Wilford. um, But then the reveal that he was working, that he and John Hurt worked together to keep the balance in the train. (sighs) It was a neat twist. I just don't know that anything up to that point really got them to earn that kind of a twist because there was no real evidence that John Hurt really did work with him. Um, they show us with the phone at the end in his room. but that's yeah. yeah, that was after the reveal. The only thing that can lead up to it is how else would they know to check for the age of the babies or children at that time? Yeah. They never established that they do that check every day. So that was a special treat for them to come down and look for the children. Yeah, um, there was that. And also there was something that John Hurt's character says to him when, when Chris Evans is like, all right, I'm going to, you know, Curtis says, I'm going to go. I'm going to go forward. John Hurt says, what was the line? It was something about, you know, don't let him talk to you. Um, 
type of thing. Almost, I felt, and maybe it, you know, on a rewatch, I might. I mean, obviously, now that I know what I know, rewatching, I'm going to view it differently. But I think on a rewatch, I might view that line differently because to me, that line was was Gilliam telling him, "Don't trust what Wilford says to you." Hmm. And so the whole time, Wilford is revealing, um, you know, this whole balance thing with Gilliam and Gilliam working with him to, you know, sort of stage the revolts um, from time to time just didn't feel, didn't feel like it was uh, earned and it didn't, and it didn't land with me because of that particular line. Now, maybe I took that wrong, um, but that's, Uh, that's that's how I had it. So there was also the other line uh, about uh, we don't have to go any further than the water. The water processing. True. True. He does bring that up. And Curtis is like, no, I'm going. You know, he did not want to stop. Um, and, then, and then Wilford implied that the agreement was to go no farther. Yeah. Than the water processing. I, and I'm sure watching it again, it'll probably make a little bit more sense. Um, it just felt like the... Um, it felt to me like the we're going to introduce a new character in the last 10 minutes of the movie uh, type of thing where like Gilliam, okay, Gilliam's not who you thought he was type uh, type stuff. Dun, dun, dun. And sometimes that just feels really cheap to me. Um, it didn't necessarily feel cheap to me in this. It just didn't quite feel like they had established that that could be a thing. Um, but uh, overall, I mean, that twist didn't ruin the movie for me in any way um it was just kind of like curtis was curtis was going to do what he wanted to do regardless he didn't care at that point like he had he was so singularly focused now to roll things back about five minutes from that reveal is the scene right before that door opens up with him and nam with curtis and nam sitting there and he's you know, gives him the cigarette and he tells the story. That was phenomenal. That yeah. was such a good piece of uh, of writing. It was such a good performance from Chris Evans. That was the first time in the movie, other than the f bombs, where I wasn't seeing Captain America. You know, I was seeing something different than uh, I was seeing the Human Torch the entire film. <laughs> But you know what I mean? Like this character was still very like the the very stoic uh, type of character. So it was he was kind of an edgier Captain America, um, in a way. It was yeah. was sort of how I viewed it. Except that scene that that just that revealed so much about him to go through that whole story, talking about all that stuff that happened. And I mean, the reveal alone that uh, that Gilliam cuts his own arm off to feed them so that they won't take the baby was enough. And then you find out that the baby was Edgar and he knew that. And yet still you go back to the, the scene where Edgar bites it and he had the chance to go back and try to save him. And he still, he was so laser focused on his mission to get to the front of the train that he walked away from Edgar when he could have saved him. So, you know, that had to tear him up inside to do that and yet he still did it like that's how singularly focused Curtis was yeah 
so it was a really interesting journey for him, especially, you know, then he, he's like, Nope, I'm going to, I'm going to see this through. And he stops the engine. Now he, he held that quite a bit longer than he probably should have been able to. Um, but I can let that go where he had, where he had his arm in the gear yeah. before. The power of hope. Yep. He did. Um, so a couple of other, um, actors in this, obviously Chris Evans was great. Um, and this was, this would have been right after Avengers, the first one, um, yep. when they were filming this, um, because actually the shawarma stinger at the end of Avengers, when they reshot that, he had to cover his face because he had grown the beard for this movie. Um, mm-hmm. but, uh, he was very, very good in it. And like I say, I mostly saw Captain America it was what I kept viewing is just, just Chris Evans, you know, and it's nothing against him. It's nothing against the character. It was a great performance, but that end, the, the last 15 minutes of the movie really shined for him. Um, Kong, Kong Ho Song, um, who was Nam, he was great. Uh, I always like Ed Harris and John Hurt. They're both just great. John Hurt was amazing in just about everything he ever did. Um, what did you guys think of Tilda Swinton? Awesome. She is such an incredible villain. She really is. And she can play such different types of villains. Like, yes, this was 2013, so this has been about eight years after Constantine, but she was a villain in that in a very different way. Um, oh, she was that. Yeah. Because uh, uh, I could just kept comparing her to uh, Narnia. Oh, yeah. Yep, the uh, White Queen. The White Queen. Yeah. Where she was sort of the benevolent, like smooth talker sort of evil villain yeah and in this she was uh i think one of the bits of trivia says that she was kind of her character was kind of modeled after margaret thatcher um oh yeah definitely see that and yeah you can definitely see that what uh what i found interesting was the trivia that uh the character was originally written as a male character um and bong joon ho thought uh originally he wanted John C. Riley to play the character. That's Ooh. who. That's who he wrote it with uh, in mind, um, which would have been really interesting because John C. Riley is phenomenal. But it been it would have been very different from Tilda Swinton, but not necessarily in a bad way. It would have been interesting to see that. However, she was, I think, perfect because yeah. she can convey that very strong. Um, you know, that very Margaret Thatcher, strong, stiff upper lip, but also like, I just want to live. I'll tell, I'll tell you whatever you want. And like shriveled immediately. Um, so she was great. And I just, I like her in anything. I, I can't think of a thing I've seen her in that I did not like her. Um, but she was great. And then, of course, you've got uh, Octavia Spencer. Um, She's awesome. She is. She was just, and she was... Very believable in this. She does a good job of playing uh, playing a mom that lost her her son and you know is desperate to get him back. Is going to do anything, and yeah. when she's like, "You need me on this. I'm coming with you." Even even Captain America's like, "All right, I'm not going to stop you." Um, yeah. and I liked Ewan Bremner. He he's fun to see anytime. He had a real small role. It was a really weird eccentric role, but. He did get to display quite a harsh 
penalty uh, for doing something wrong. That was pretty cool where they put the yeah. that thing on their Took arm. His arm off. Yeah. yeah, the way that they would do it. Cause when and they, then they presented the other people who were missing limbs as if that was the same thing that had happened, but then we find out later that it was because of them cutting off limbs. Some of them, yeah, but yeah, I'm sure there was other people that had the same thing he had happen. Uh, and that yeah, was... That was what you would assume at the beginning. Right, yep. That was a nice uh, little curveball that they threw there at the end to kind of show yeah. that. But that was... I was like, oh, man, that is a brutal form of punishment. And they're like, at this altitude, seven minutes. And she tries to time out her speech to them at seven minutes. Um, Stone cold. Yeah. For sure. Uh, and one other small role, um, the painter, the guy that does all the drawings. Clark, yeah, he's fun. Clark Middleton. I love him. He's just cool in in everything. Um, you know, he's... He's that guy you see in something, and you you always remember him because he's got a very unique look. Um, yeah. But he's just been in you know little parts. He was great in the Blacklist. Um, I remember seeing him in a couple episodes of that, and uh, I really liked him in uh, his small role in Fringe. He did in a couple of episodes as the kind of bookshop owner. Um, he was just he was cool. Uh, you know, not a whole lot I can say about. I mean, Jamie Bell's fine. He was. Um, I was trying to, the whole movie was trying to remember what I recognized him from because for some reason I couldn't place him. And even though I didn't see it, it was from all the trailers for uh, Fan Four Stick. Who was he in Fan Four Stick? He was Ben Grimm. Oh. Yeah, he's the thing. Because I saw Fan Four Stick. <laughs> yep, I did not. I did not see that. Uh, he's also Billy Elliot. But, you know, Billy Elliot came out in 2000, so he was like 14 when that movie came out. Um, this is not the fan Forstick cast, so I will hold my comments. <laughs> um, no, I I think this was quite a, quite a good movie. However, depressing bummer of an ending. Oh, my God, right? Like, holy it, it was... cow hopeful depending on how you wanted to read it yeah the last the last 12 seconds were hopeful the previous two minutes oh yeah the previous two minutes were oh shit well so the previous two minutes were were oh shit for certain the last 12 seconds are hopeful until you realize that that's like a 17 year old they're the only two people left alive are 17 years old and five they have no food they have no shelter. They have nothing. There's a, I'd say there's a chance someone from one of the front cars survived. Slim, but, you know. Ooh, pretty pretty slim chance that anybody survived that. Nobody in the back cars survived no, at all. No, absolutely. No. Which is so hard seeing, like, seeing the explosion, then seeing the avalanche, and then seeing, functionally, the last two-thirds of the train just get immediately obliterated it's like well there goes everything you just watched all your friends die for and now all the people who didn't die for you died anyway and everybody's dead yeah it basically i mean the way that i viewed that ending it was an apocalyptic movie where the apocalypse really happened like humanity's done um yeah i i that's just how i viewed that like they try they show you know the polar bear which is great like the earth is going to rebound and, and, you know, I believe that anyway. Like, 
uh, we could have a cataclysmic event and wipe all the people off the planet, and Earth is going to make it fine. It doesn't need us. But, yeah, just, man, talk about a, a gut punch of an ending. Like, you realize that those two, they, they survived the explosion, they survived the avalanche, they survived all of that. They're not going to make it a whole lot longer. They're really not. They no, both polar bear is probably going to make meat out of them. Yeah, I mean, they both are, are train babies. They don't know anything else. So it it was a mixture of, you know, you you can't help but have that feeling of like, oh, cool, she's out, she's walking on, on ground for the first time and, and all this. And then you have the realization of, yes, but she's probably going to make it through the night, maybe. Um, and that's assuming that they don't freeze to death. They're not going to make it very long because there's no food anywhere. Smart play would be going back into the train. Yeah. Uh, that's very true. Um, so, yeah, Can that I was... Can I make a comparison that I don't think we've made yet? Sure. How Ed Harris played the same character in this movie that he played in the Truman Show? It was a very similar character, wasn't it? Um, yeah. I think you're right because if you think about uh, his character in the Truman Show really thought that he knew best for Truman. Yeah. And, and same in this. And same in this. He was convinced. 100% rock solid committed to what he was doing. It's the only way. I did not make that connection, but that is a great observation. Um, he basically was playing, I can't remember what his character's name was in, uh, in the Truman Show, but it was another like one it's, it's, I think one it's name thing. Yeah, I looked it up. Yeah, yep, that's right, Kristoff. So, yeah. huh, that's really cool. I did not think of that. Um, I didn't expect what happened to Tilda Swinton. I did not see Mason, at least not at that point in the movie, biting pumping her in the face. Yeah, yeah. Like I really thought she was going to last longer than that. And you know, let's talk about how good this dude was with guns. Yeah, he was pretty impressive for somebody who probably never held one. Yeah, that shot on the curve where we were already suspending a lot of disbelief. <laughs> Perfect headshot. Yeah. With just a little bit of glass in the way. Yeah, can we just uh, uh, pretend that that part of the movie didn't happen? Like, that that couple of minutes just got cut and you can skip on. Because really, it doesn't doesn't do anything. It doesn't move anything forward. It's, it's not integral to to Curtis's arc or to um, Russian Rush Limbaugh's arc or any of that. Like, it was just dumb. You can just say Rush Limbaugh. <laughs> um, um, now, I did really like the scene, though. Um, so they, they go into that car, and it's all the guys standing there with the axes, and they cut the fish up, and then there's the big fight there, which, you know, she tries to tell him, uh, Mason tries to tell everybody, you know, let's not do this. They fight it anyway. So then they shut the lights out and go through the tunnel. Like, that was really good. Um, that is that is the thing I tell people if I'm telling them about this movie, is that scene alone. That's probably in my top five film and TV fight scenes. Oh, uh, yeah. The cool thing about it is they didn't use any additional lighting in that scene. That was uh, for the torchlight. Everything was done by just torchlight only. Yeah, that's cool. Like I that's can see that. you you can and, when you know that and you go back and watch it, you can really tell. But it makes for just very cool atmosphere because you're in that tunnel, you're not seeing Jack. 
Like you're just yeah. not going to see anything. And but the random rays of light passing through, you see like axes and blood in the air. Mm-hmm. One of, chills every time. One of my favorite shots in a movie. Oh yeah, it was a really well constructed, well put together scene. I really enjoyed that. Um, I almost feel like. Now, this was based on a comic, uh, a French comic, which I am not going to even try to pronounce because, no. Uh, But um, I have a feeling that if this held close to that comic, that that scene or that at least the feeling of that scene was somewhere in there. Um, I think overall uh, that was probably, action-wise, that was the highlight of the movie for me. Um, and you know, like I say, story wise, it was definitely Curtis confessing to kind of what happened when they got on the train. Um, but, um, yeah, I mean, that whole scene was just really, really well done. The the visual effects in the movie overall were really good. Um, the, the limb removals, um, everything, you know, everything looked, uh, if I may have a moment. Yes. Le trans personnage. Okay. I was not going to be able to pronounce that right, so. <laughs> and I probably wasn't pretty close. I'm just listening to the Google Translate. I uh, I might have to check that out. That might be interesting. Although, if it's a French comic, I don't know if there's going to be an English translation or not. But, um, yeah, I mean, visual visually, this movie was very uh, fun. I wouldn't call it unique because... We've seen other movies with a, a similar, you know, that grummy, grum, grungy, grimy uh, back of the train, the very clean front of the train. Um, you know, the the reveal of what the um, protein bars were made of, I oh. thought was... Yeah, but at the same time, like, it makes, it, it makes sense. You need a cheap source of protein. You're going to... I know, but... You're going to do that, but... Why, I guess, was it just to keep the the tail end of the train in place? Because they obviously had everything figured out for the front of the train, so was it just... Like, I don't know, that... The that... way that it was put up in the movie, it seemed like they were just there to make babies for them to replace parts of the eternal... Yeah. Yeah, but the thing is, those parts weren't broken when the train started. So looks like there's an English translation under the name "The Escape." Okay, I'll have to look for that. Um, and I agree that yes, by the by the events of this movie, 18 years into the train running, there are parts that are broken or breaking down that are extinct, and so they need small people, small hands, to get in there. So I get that, but. These people were on the train 18 years ago when those parts were still running fine. So what was their purpose then? Um, they were stowaways and kept and put there for this purpose, for knowing what would happen in the future. Yeah, yeah I suppose. That kind of makes sense. Also, it would have been kind of nice to get some background as to what the chronal was exactly, other than highly it's flammable. product, yeah. You know, it's a industrial waste, and it's highly flammable. But so here's one: How long do you think the train was in number of cars? Oh, jeez, I don't know. Um, 
I I have the and so I'm not gonna say. Uh, thirty cars. The comic says it's one thousand and one. Yeah, I can believe that. Uh, I don't think the movie. The movie, the movie certainly I didn't. Have, I would have guessed two hundred in the movie. Yeah, the the movie did not make it seem as though it was a thousand cars long, because he makes. I mean, they make from one end to the other in what felt like a little over a day. They didn't really ever even stop to sleep, so it was like one day. They stopped once. Oh, yeah, you're right. You're right. Um, no, uh, I thoroughly enjoyed this movie. I, I, the Like I say, the effects were really good. Um, who was it that did those? Uh, Scanline VFX did a lot of the work on it. Um, the costuming did a, a huge job. Like Tilda Swinton's costume with the, the hair, the glasses, the, the makeup good. was really, really good. They did a good job of um, costuming on Chris Evans so that you couldn't really tell how built he is. Yeah. Um, because if you think about it, there's no way that somebody could have lived on that train for 18 years and look like Chris Evans. So you got to try and hide that somehow. So they did a really good job with that, I think. Um, yeah, I mean, I can see why this movie critically did so well. I know it wasn't originally slated to have a wide release. It was going to be a limited release, but it, it got such good reviews that, um, the producers decided, uh, the Weinstein company decided they would put it out on a wide release, uh, which is interesting because it had a $40 million budget. So it wasn't like it was super low budget. Well, it's. Apparently one of the highest grossing movies of all time in South Korea. Hmm. I believe that it's South Korean movies. Yeah, it's it was I know it was the most expensive uh South Korean movie at forty million dollars. I did like that they built all the train sets um on gimbals so that they could actually have them uh you know, shake around a little bit. It's like you know, small touches like that where you do it physically in camera as opposed to later on adding a shake effect um shows so that was kind of neat that they they built those sets and they put them on gimbals and they were able to to do that that was kind of cool um yeah i don't have a whole lot else to say i mean it really good sci-fi post it was it was yeah it was good post-apocalyptic sci-fi. It's got a huge downer of an ending. I mean, you don't come out of this movie feeling good. I will say that. I definitely... No. <laughs> uh, it was... That was tough. Um, you feel hopeful, and then as the credits are rolling, you kind of think about it. Well, yeah. That's when you, you, re- you have this realization, like, wait a minute. No, that's not an uplifting ending at all. Um, I did... So there was trivia that states that um, the filmmakers, uh, the revolt of the seven, the female leader, was um, Nam's wife. And I kind of had that feeling when he was pointing her out, pointing out to, to his daughter, um, and, you know, mentioned that she, she was an Inuit, she taught him all the different types of snow and all that kind of stuff. Like I had a feeling that that was his wife that tried to, tried to leave. Now why he didn't try to go with her at that time, 
I'm not sure. But Rex. Oh, uh, yeah. That was a little okay. So I'd mentioned earlier about how I didn't feel like they earned the reveal um with John Hurt. I really don't feel like they earned the reveal of, oh, I've just been stockpiling this stuff all this time to make a bomb to blow the door open. Yeah. That I'm actually not crazy. Yeah. I'm actually not crazy and drugged out. My daughter is. Uh, yeah, she's you know, gone. <laughs> she's just going to sleep through this whole thing, but uh, but I'm not. I've just been stockpiling it. Like that, that was, you know, that uh, that last minute reveal type stuff that can be really annoying, and I did not like that. Mm-hmm. Um, I think they could have figured out some other way for, you know, for that to be a reveal without it feeling so disjointed and out of place. And then there's her clairvoyancy of knowing what was on the other side of the door. Well, that was just for convenience, though. Because you notice that once they used it early on, and then they used it when she said, don't open the door as they were opening it, and then the clairvoyance thing never really came up again. Uh, until they were in the main room of the of the engine room. Yes. When she walked over the plate. Yes. Okay, you're right. But it just felt it felt like there was no rhyme or reason to when she had it. After after the first couple of times where they're like, Oh, you're clairvoyant and then no, we're just kinda kinda use that whenever we need like it just felt like they forgot about that for a while. There were other a- a- Yeah. A- according to the stuff uh that's in the trivia stuff, um it's saying that she wasn't clairvoyant but just had a high sense of hearing. I saw that where they said something about the train babies had like animalistic hearing or something. Right. Um, Which would actually fit in. She would be able to hear the breathing and the movement. Yeah. Although how and why, like why would they have that and how would they develop that? You know, the, the, it makes, it makes more narrative sense for her to just somehow be clairvoyant than to, because they don't, they don't give any indication that it was that she heard anything. I guess right. So no, they, they they it just she she plays it off as well. What do you mean I'm clairvoyant? What does that even mean? Right. Well, and that makes sense. I can see her not understanding what that is because again, she's only ever lived on this train. At least Curtis spent 17 years before he got on the train, so he might have heard of that prior to everything going on in in 2014. You skip ahead to 2031 or whatever. and um, So for her to play that off as, what do you mean I'm clairvoyant? I don't know what that means. That's fine. But then don't try to tell me after the fact, oh, yeah, by the way, she's it's not that she's clairvoyant. She's just got super good hearing. Like, no, nah, that just that doesn't. Again, it, it might be something that explains more in the, the comics of the source material. Yeah, that's quite possible and you know in a comic like that you have more time to develop some of the stuff i just uh i can't find it for free Hmm. no but it is on amazon yeah i'll still take a look see if i can find it maybe check the library um what's the library (laughs) yeah a lot of the trivia for this movie is silly there's like uh chris evans and allison pill appeared in scott pilgrim versus the world Okay. Chris Evans and Tilda Swinton appeared in Avengers Endgame. Yeah. Now, one thing Wait. is... Spoiler. 
<laughs> We've all seen it. And this this is going to come out long enough after the movie opened that uh, I don't care about that as a spoiler. Um, now, Chris Evans was in a movie. One of the things I found, and I was talking to Christine about this, The Losers from 2010, which I vaguely remember having come out, but it was a DC. It was based on a DC comic. Uh, I'm just trying to figure out how I missed this because it has Jeffrey Dean Morgan, Zoe Saldana, Chris Evans, and Idris Elba in it. So I'm going to have to go find that movie and watch it now. Speaking of comics, you see they're making a Watchmen show? Yes. Oh, baby. That looks pretty interesting. Uh, and it's set after the events of the original graphic novel, the original hmm. series. Well, yeah, I mean, they didn't show any of the main people other than the sort of Rorschach-inspired... Yeah, the Rorschach cult. Mask. Yeah. That was... It, it's Amazon's putting it out. It looks interesting. Um, I thought it was HBO. Oh, no. You're right. It is HBO. I'm sorry. I saw an ad for it when I was on uh, IMDb, I think. That's what made me think Amazon. Gotcha. Um, yeah, so if neither of you have seen it... Christina, have you seen The Host? Yes. Okay. You like that? Yeah. I mean, that's a good monster movie. I kind of want to watch it again. Yeah. I haven't seen it since I saw it at the film festival. That was the year that it was The Host and Black Sheep. And both of those were great. Uh, not the Chris Farley Black Sheep. This is the New Zealand movie about zombie vampire sheep. Um, but uh, The Host, if if you like monster movies at all, David, you should check out The Host. It's also uh, Jun Ho Bong um, directed and wrote that. It's got the same two Korean actors that were in Snowpiercer. And if you like Snowpiercer, you probably would like that because it's a really good movie. All right, I'll consider it. Yeah, I definitely, I recommend that. I want to check out some of his other stuff. He did, um, uh, what was it? Sea Fog, I don't know. Okja and Parasite is, I think, coming out this year. Okja got great reviews. Yeah, this guy makes movies that review really well. Okja looks interesting. I don't know what to make of it at all. I know nothing about it. Yeah, <laughs> I, I know the poster, and I've seen a couple of still images, and it's apparently a giant what looks like hippo dog thing. I don't know. Oh, is that the Netflix series or movie thing? Sure, oh, yes, yeah. it is. Uh, say Netflix, June, blah blah blah, twenty seventeen. Um, yeah. Starring Tilda year. Swinton. So huh. I'm gonna have to check that out because that looks interesting. But yeah, I, I like his stuff. I mean, what I've seen now, I've seen two of his movies. I've liked them both. I'll definitely give some more of his uh, his work. Um, it was, like I say, it was nice to see Chris Evans do something a little bit different. Um, I just, I can't get over his performance there towards the end. Like, you really got to see that, I felt that emotion coming out of him. Um, it was how hard, and that's, Talk about some heavy subject matter. Like they're they're starting to you know they start to eat the weak people, and then you know I found out that babies taste best. I was like, oh, oh, that one hurts. I hate that I know that. Yeah. Yeah. Oh. So he was he was phenomenal in this. I like the movie. You know, I like most movies. I'm pretty easy to please. It's hard for me to find a movie that I can universally hate, um, but. Outside of the the whole thing with the curve, 
in the the track and them shooting at each other like truthfully nothing else in this took me out of the movie even the the couple of things at the end that I feel like they didn't earn I let I can let go because sure all right dude just decided he was going to pretend to or he was an addict but he was clear enough to know to still have his his goal in mind um you know and I believe Ed Harris in in his character's Wilford's you know his belief in what he was doing was right and I believe all that it's just that that twist of oh but I was working with Gilliam up until I guess I guess in a way it makes sense I don't know um but again, it, it yeah. wasn't it wasn't enough for me to say nope, this isn't a good movie. Like I'd definitely watch it again, um, and I'd I'd recommend it to people that like uh, sci-fi, that like the this brand of sci-fi. This isn't your Star Wars, Battlestar Galactica type sci-fi. This is uh, a different a different type of sci-fi, but very good. Like I I like post-apocalyptic. There's something about that just the world's ending or it has ended and uh it's a human survival epic yeah and it was really well done i i was thinking about it earlier today it kind of made me think of like the end of this movie would be like if star wars was told from the point of view of somebody that lived on alderaan that didn't know about any other planets and the movie ended with the planet blowing up yeah <laughs> that was just for whatever reason that's what was going through my head today when I was thinking back about this movie. Yeah. Um, but uh, it was good. Um, I like, I mean, okay. So I don't think I would call this my favorite uh, dystopian future movie. Um, but um, I'm curious to know uh, if either of you have a, a favorite of that style of movie, that, that dystopian post-apocalyptic kind of sci-fi realm um because you know we've this is the second movie we have done that's sort of in that vein uh, on this show with uh, Tank Girl being the other one, um, and you could kind of lump Titan AE into that, although it's not really post-apocalyptic because they go out into space and uh, things kind of continue on. But um, well, I mean, the Earth gets destroyed. <laughs> yeah, it, no, it does, but it's that's a uh, I feel like that's a little different because. Whereas Earth became Alderaan. <laughs> yeah. Where, whereas this movie, are we talking gloomy post-apocalypse or just sort of post-apocalypse in general? Just post-apocalypse in general. Like it doesn't have to be gloomy. Okay. Um, most of them are, but you know. Yeah, uh, I'm pretty partial to the new Planet of the Apes movie. Hmm. Um, I also am pretty partial, and I think you'll both agree, Fury Road. Okay, I figured yep, that Mad you Max. were going to go there with the Mad Max, uh, Mad Max World and Fury Road in general. Like uh, the first three Mad Maxes, I'm not as huge on. Two you've, is okay. You have seen all three of those, though. I have seen every Mad. Wow, a, a movie series. Now, I that surprised me a little bit because, like, I figured obviously that you would have seen Fury Road because it's it's new enough. I wasn't sure on the other ones. Um, that's... I mean, can't we all just go beyond Thunderdome? <laughs> uh, but who runs Martertown? Uh, yeah. Um, okay. If I had to rank them, it would be two. It would be Fury Road two, one, three. 
that's pretty universally how people rank yeah. those. I figured. Yeah. I just had to get it out. Yeah. Um, I'm like drawing a blank on post-apocalypse. Those are both pretty good choices, though. The newer Planet of the Apes and uh, Mad Max. Um, Christina? I, 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 I'm going to agree with the Mad Max series. Um, I, I, I enjoyed some very cringy B-movie ones, as well as some of the stories from uh, like Outer Limits and stuff like that that delve into it. Oh, oh yes, yeah. I have seen Tank Girl. Yes, you have. Yeah, you've seen it now. <laughs> mm, uh, yep, I have. You're, you're not super thrilled about it, I know, but hey, you've seen it. Um, I So it's not a quote-unquote good movie, but I liked it. Reign of Fire was one for me. Um, ah, yes, the, the, the dragon. Yes, it, it incorporates your post-apocalypse, your wasteland, your, and, and dragons. It's starring Batman. Uh, it's got, uh, so you've got Christian Bale, you've got um, Gerard Butler, and Matthew McConaughey, who's just chewing all the scenery. It's such a fun movie, and uh, that's a great post-apocalyptic world. There's also, um, oh, oh, I'm trying to think of it. Um, I mean, there's a lot of B-movies that use this that as a plot device, um, the whole kind of post-apocalypse because it's it's easy to kind of set up that world. You can you there's places where you can film it, and you know typically they're they're de- desert land or uh, snow land, um, just because yep. that just fits that kind of motif. You don't you very rarely see like uh, you know jungle um, in a post apocalypse because yeah, this is the first I've seen Rain of Fire. And it actually looks pretty good. Oh yeah, um, don't watch it yet. We'll we'll figure out a way to do it for the show because I want to get your opinions on that. Because I uh, saw that in I the theater. Sh- can I shoot another post apocalyptic one? Yeah. Uh, Tom Cruise Oblivion. Ooh, that's a good one. Yeah, Oblivion was good. Um, Elysium was pretty good. That sort of fits yeah, in the that vein. was. Yeah. Oh, was that the die? No, not live die repeat. Um, you're thinking that's Edge of Tomorrow. Um, oh, okay. Elysium was Matt Damon, uh, and it was um, uh, oh, what is his name? The South African director did District Nine and Chappie. Um, oh, Neil Blomkamp. Blomkamp, yeah, yeah. That was uh, that one was actually a pretty interesting, sort of Snowpiercer like, where they have all the rich people live up on Elysium, which is sort of a it's like a floating space station basically, right? Um, and then all the poor people still live on Earth. Um, yeah, they've, they've uh, yeah, kind of stole it from Alita. I don't, I don't think I've seen it. They what now? It was basically the same idea as Alita. Hmm. Yeah. The marketing looks familiar, but I don't think I've seen it. Now, Alita was originally an anime, yes? It was manga, a manga, then anime, then okay. now the live-action movie. Yeah. Yep. Wasn't it just called Battle Angel? Battle a- Battle Angel Alita was its full I type. Knew, I knew it was a little different. But, um, yeah, Elysium is, a, is an interesting post-apocalyptic world. There's a lot of anime that goes into that, too. Um, I mean, let, let's not forget Escape from New York. Oh, yeah, that's a, a favorite. I And, personally, I liked Escape from L.A. 
it's bad. Oh, I like I like them both, yeah. but uh, New York was definitely the better one. Oh, big time. Yeah. Well, for one, it had Harry Dean Stanton. I mean, you know. Probably more movies that David hasn't seen. <laughs> Correct. Um, but yeah, that's a that's a great choice for a good post-apocalyptic. Uh, I was thinking of um, the one post-apocalyptic movie Will Smith was in with his son. After, uh, after Earth? Yes. Ugh. But not as a good one. No. I was just trying to remember what it was called because I was got kind of confused with Oblivion. Uh, uh, but that made me think of I Am Legend. Yeah, which is also post-apocalyptic. Um, so, yeah. Uh, which is also a good answer to this question. It is. It is. That wasn't a, that movie had its flaws, um, but it's definitely an interesting world. Um, now, we go back to some of the older versions. I mean, there's the Omega Man, which is I Am Legend from the 70s, because uh, it's the same story. Um, but that Omega Man starring Charlton Heston, uh, there are... Bringing up the Outer Limits, Christina, I like that you did that because there are some great Outer Limits, Twilight Zone episodes um, where they would kind of explore bits and pieces of that. Like, um, what's the what's the Twilight Zone episode with Burgess Meredith? Uh, enough time or something, or there's never enough time where he... Oh, he, all the, li- he wants, the library. Yeah, all he wants to do is read his books and he never never has time to do it. And then the world ends and he's the only person left alive and he finally has time to read all of his books and then he drops his glasses and breaks them like Ooh. yeah uh that's a well uh, i mean that was twilight zone for you yeah that's true but uh yeah twilight zone outer limits um the world's uh, end oh yeah the world well all three i mean the world's end is the most post apocalyptic i would say of the cornetto films although shaun of the dead very much yeah. is um there's there's some other good ones. There's a lot of the zombie movies. Dawn of the Dead, um, Day of the Dead, Zombie Land. Twenty eight days later. Yep. Yeah, twenty eight days later. Still for me is one that the, those shots of uh, London and the surrounding areas with no traffic and just barren like that. The way that they were able to create that look. You know that I think that's a lot of what really does it for me with. Uh, with post-apocalyptic stuff is we're, you know, where in the sixties and seventies and eighties, when they would make a movie like that, you had to set it somewhere outside of a town or you had, you could only show bits and pieces of a city because you had to be able to find some way to, to make it where there's no people. Um, you know, it's old school filmmaking. It's like the, the story from, uh, Raiders of the Lost Ark where they were shooting in, um, for the scenes in Cairo and they had to go to each individual house and tell the people to take down their TV antennas so they could shoot out and look over something that looked like it was from the 1930s, um, 1940s, whenever, whenever it was set, like nowadays you just paint all that out and it's a lot easier to do digitally to be able to create, you know, I am legend where you got New York city with no one there. Um, and it's, that's very, uh, powerful imagery to see, you know, London or New York or DC or something like that with just nothing going on and overgrown and, and all that kind of stuff. Um, Post-apocalyptic is so interesting to me because it's so easy to do 
badly. Oh. And it's interesting. Oh, yeah, it... I can't I can't think of many genres where it's as easy to mess up. I mean, just I go find the movie Night of the Comet. Yeah. Well, uh, I would say horror slasher movies. Yeah, that's a good because yeah. that's very, very easy to make a, a just cheese ball horror movie. And and not in the um, tongue in cheek or satirical way, but in the like we're earnestly the trying to make a good movie. Way. Yeah. Yeah. We're we're very much trying to make a good movie and it's it's not. But you're right. I think that that's one of the things with post apocalyptic movies is it's because you kind of you have carte blanche to create your world. Okay, the you insert cataclysmic event here, and now we're going to go X number of years into the future, and what's going on there? Waterworld is a good example of another post-apocalyptic movie. Um, and they went the other route instead of having it all desert, they wanted to do it all water. Um, I was gonna say, I think that's one of the most unique approaches to it I've seen. I think so, especially at the time. I mean, that was not something. That was right around Mad Max. Waterworld? No, that was well after. Mad Max is the early 80s. Um, in fact, I think the first Mad Max was 1979, if I remember correctly. Um, yep. But Road Warrior is like 1982. And then, uh, or 81 was Road Warrior. Thunderdome was 85. Uh, Waterworld didn't come out till 95. Oh. Yeah. Or it was like 86, 87. No, quite a bit later than that, because it was that was post uh, Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves, uh, for Costner. Um, you know, it was post a lot, so it was though. It was a very unique take on the post-apocalyptic look. Instead of Oscar-nominated being... Waterworld, <laughs> yeah, Razzie <laughs> nominated too. Um, and then uh, you know you had stuff like The Postman. Uh, Costner seemed to like to do post-apocalypse there for a little while um you know it's it's a type of movie that i think uh when done right can be really good and oh, you're it's a ru- razzie winner no oh. but you're right it, it can be very easily done poorly because again if you can go out in the middle of nowhere and film you can make a movie like this and you can we have seen and we're, we're starting to see more, you know, unique setups. I mean, Snowpiercer is a very different setup from most others because they're confined to this train and they, you know, that's all they know. Um, Mad Max was obviously post-apocalypse in Australia, as was we found out Tank Girl. Um, but uh, I just think it's a, it's a neat type of uh, storytelling. Um when done right. I think you could even look at something like a Blade Runner is not really post-apocalypse, but it's that it's it's that future yeah. type of deal. Um, the, the gloomy future where corporations are in control. Yeah. It's, it's cyberpunk is what's a derived from it. huge caste system as well. Yes. D- uh, dystopian. Yeah. Um, oh, another, another really good dystopian is um, Book of Eli. Uh, if you haven't seen that, that's a good one to check out. That's the one with Denzel. Don't forget Idiocracy. Oh, how did I forget Idiocracy? Damn. 
Good, good, good call. That's a phenomenal one. I have not seen either. What? <laughs> you should absolutely see Idiocracy. Um, Just assume I haven't seen a movie you mentioned. Actually, I, I usually do. Um, well, you know what? Uh, we've kind of we've gone down the rabbit hole far enough. I think we can probably wrap this one up uh, for this week. But uh, yeah, Snowpiercer, um, bringing it back to the movie we did watch. Uh, it's good, good. Good sci-fi. I enjoyed it. Uh, I'm glad I finally got to see it. I see what uh, the buzz was about. Was it perfect? No. Worth a watch? Absolutely. Absolutely worth a here, watch. Here, here. Um, so I would like to thank both of you for joining me this week. Um, as always, a pleasure. And uh, it was kind of nice, David, for you to be able to be on a, an episode with a movie that I hadn't seen. Yeah. And uh, <laughs> uh, we got a spreadsheet. There's a couple more. But... Yeah. But on the whole, we'll get back to our regularly scheduled. David hasn't seen this movie. Uh, yes. <laughs> so uh, I don't know what that's going to be yet. Um, I'm hoping to, to figure out something uh, this week that we can watch. Um, I'll... I'll put word out to see who's available and we'll kind of go from there. But uh, I know that, David, I can count on you to have not seen whatever movie I'm talking about. Generally. Mm -hmm. Uh, But yeah, thank you, Christina and David, for joining me this week. Travis, where can I find this podcast? Where can you find this podcast? Well, you can go to uh, tvstravis.com and click the big subscribe button. Uh, You can search for it and find it on... um, Apple Podcasts and Google Podcasts as well, uh, but the easiest way what is. If to, I can't read, well, if you can't read, then I have no help for you. Um, <laughs> now you're just not catering to your audience. <laughs> you're, you're right, I'm not. Um, but no, go there, subscribe, and once you've subscribed, go to Google and Apple Podcasts, find the show, and leave some reviews. That helps kind of bump the show up in the rankings, so that more people find it. Um, and uh, yeah, and, wa- uh, and watch the movies. Yeah, definitely. No, watch the movies. Uh, you you don't have to watch the movies before you listen to the episode if you haven't seen it yet. Although I would recommend it because obviously we have spoilery. We have no restraint on spoilers. We're going to talk yeah. about everything in the movie. So we'll spoil other movies. That's true. Sometimes that's true. Although when we do spoil other movies, they're movies that have been out for years. So I mean, I spoiled Endgame. Yeah. In for reference of Endgame released 17 days ago, viewer. Yeah, as as of recording this, that's true. Um, but, you know, what you spoiled in Endgame is not, I think, something that anybody should get super upset about. I don't so. even remember what I said. Well, that's we, okay, no need to repeat it. Yeah, we yeah. won't go back. Um, but no, thank you. Uh, yeah, go go to tvstravis.com, subscribe to the show. You get uh, new shows every week, um, come out on Saturdays, and... Uh, Usually, um, usually I have uh, actually you two have been the most prominent uh, co hosts so far. The so, old guard. Um, but uh, we got a rotating cast of people, and we, uh, you know, you can also um, on the site there leave comments of movies that you want to see us talk about or hear us talk about. Or leave your own reviews of the movies that we're reviewing. Sure, yeah. No, I'm, I'm all for that too. <laughs> yes, I love being told why I'm wrong. Uh, <laughs> welcome to the internet yeah uh but yeah thanks thanks for joining me this week and um 
as Christina coined in one of our first episodes, and I've been using it as a sign-off ever since. Enjoy your movies. something they did not. And what was that? Old word people were frigging morons who got turned into popsicles.